how can we increase the chances that our audience will truly get what we mean? With clarity. I'm Daphna. Welcome to Let's Clarify It, where we'll explore how to communicate our innovative ideas in ways that lead to the results and impact we set out to achieve. Every day we encounter so many opportunities for meaningful exchanges. Let's make the most of them by being perfectly clear. A good 15 years before many of us moved to online living due to the outbreak of COVID-19, Ilan Frenkel was already a digital interaction insider curious about the ability to connect virtually, given his long-distance relationships with his partner and father. Turning that curiosity into expertise, Ilan co-founded Connected, a virtual experiences company, from the helm of which he assists people, communities, and organizations to get connected online by co-creating engaging and meaningful interactions. Combining diverse tools and methodologies, ranging from focusing to large group facilitation, Elon finds that rather than working to hide the glitches of online interactions, it's the very vulnerable imperfections and transparent attitude that bring about a sincerity that enables people to truly connect even when they're not together in a shared physical space. Join us for episode 15 of Let's Clarify It, in which Elan shares how bringing awareness to our bodies changes something about how we're present, which is felt beyond the screen. Given that the most meaningful presentations are conversations, what this implies for those delivering them, and how playing games and adding touches of lightheartedness to online interactions create openness and a place for something shared to emerge. Curious? Let's clarify it. Hi, Elon. how are you? Excellent. Good to see you today. Thanks for coming. And I wish that we were meeting in person, but you know, we are here on Zoom. I'm getting this optimistic sense. Here we are in Israel that getting together in person is going to be a practicality for whoever wants to, whenever they want to really soon. Are you getting that same sense? I think that's going to be a possibility. Yes, <laughs> indeed. I'm looking forward to it after spending a year plus on Zoom. How about you? Me too. Except yeah. that you've developed quite an expertise for all things digital, haven't you? Why don't you tell the people who don't know who you are, what it is that you do? Ooh. All things digital would be like stretching it a bit. I don't conceive of myself as somebody that's particularly technically inclined. I would even say that I'm a former technophobe. I've retired from that during COVID. I do find myself, like lots of us, spending a lot of time on and kind of the virtual spaces or the digital medium, particularly this last year. I've been working mainly in producing events and seminars and conferences that are happening online or that are hybrid and helping organizations and individuals make that leap from the physical into the virtual. And that includes anything from being able to create the sense of raw presence in their presentation and connections to others to the technical production of an online event, which is somewhat different. That is happening completely digitally and not physically. When you say so, hybrid, does that refer to an event in which some of the people are actually physically present? but it's also being broadcast for the benefit of people who aren't? Right, exactly. So there's the combination of also the physical contact and the 
you know, the quality that comes with actually being present together, but also being part of a larger conversation often happen also using visual mediums, but also additional applications that enable collecting information, collecting data, ideas on a common, you know, green board. Let's call it that. So way. you know what, right off the bat, I'll ask your advice on this hybrid situation. Here we are about to start, or maybe it's already started, the second semester, the spring semester here in universities in Israel, and some workshops that were coordinated with me at some of Israel's universities have told me that now that so many of the adults are vaccinated, that they're going back to having classes in person. And some of them have asked me to come deliver workshops in person, but to keep in mind that those workshops are also going to be broadcast to students who aren't vaccinated virtually. And I'm trying to think, how do I even manage delivering such a workshop in a way that is both engaging to the people who are in the room with me on a technical level? Do I need to stand up close to a computer? Do I need to take breaks and ask questions of the people who are connected by Zoom? I'm not even managing to get my head around what that even looks like so that the yeah. people in the room and the people watching it in real time, not recorded later, that would be one thing. If you make a video of it and people watch it later, then there's no expectation that you're going to be interacting with the people who are not in the room. But this almost sounds to me like an impossible expectation to interact both with the people in the room and the people who are connecting virtually. Have you seen anything like that yet? Yeah, what you're describing here is actually a really interesting challenge. What I've spoken about, about hybrid events, was not exactly like that. I'm trying to imagine how that would look. And I think it actually has to do with expectations before even we go into the technical kind of aspects of that. So the administration is coming over and saying we want this and this as well. And possibly that's not one possible or in doing or making that happen, there'll be quite a significant reduction. This and that won't be on equal terms. And it would seem to me almost interesting to me to ask, like asking the participants what their expectations are, what would work for them. And that would be able to do anything once you start. But something that comes to mind to me is that I would probably think, how can I create a situation where I'm actually working with two cameras, just making a really simple setup that one is like, let's say, taking kind of like the, the blackboard or whatever that is, and actually using it physically. And another one at a different angle, that's more like a, a close up to you, perhaps. Even without work, and, and working maybe with a really simple switchboard. And this will require some practice but you'll be able to create a kind of situation where at certain points you're speaking like pretty much at a close-up and just delivering kind of the message and then switching to a presentation and then maybe switching to another camera where you're actually drawing something physically, which perhaps enables you to interact better with the classroom. It's an interesting challenge to think about how you can do that in a way that supports the teaching that doesn't become the essence of the, the interaction. Totally. And I wonder how much yeah. any of these organizations are equipped with any of this equipment that you're talking about. I'm guessing they're not. They're not. Prepared that is going to be challenging. I really hope yeah. everybody can get back together. I'm also thinking a lot about this. What changes will linger and stay with us post-COVID in terms of are people going to be more calculating? about which opportunities actually justify traveling. I'm based in Jerusalem. Tel Aviv is like an hour's drive away, and that's before we even mention traffic or finding parking. I'm finding that post-COVID, with the convenience of, okay, so if I need to jump on a call with somebody and I actually want to see them almost face-to-face, -face, then we can get on a Zoom. And it almost feels like, is it really justified that I get in my car and drive for an hour each direction at least, if not more than that, and find parking? Are you feeling that people are going to be 
more hesitant to jump into in-person meetings that aren't necessary, not to mention international travel once that's positive, or people going to maybe be more frugal and thrifty about which opportunities actually justify and require that we travel for face-to-face communication? I think COVID has been with us for long enough. It's been long enough to change some of our habits. It's requiring us to ask questions that perhaps we wouldn't have asked in the past, but that do have to do with the nature of the interaction. What are our objectives in that interaction and what are you expecting to get out of it? and our experience really during that interaction. And is it necessary? We used to take just for granted in which we're meeting physically. Now that this other option opened up, and by the way, this is not new in any ways. I think it's new for the mass of people, but for some of us, also pre-COVID, we were to a large extent living in this kind of realm. But the question of the quality of the experience and the interaction is one that we, I think, will find ourselves also asking, particularly on a social level. Can we replicate intimacy? How do we do that? How do we replicate intimacy on a virtual medium in places where that's less necessary? Seemingly, the answer would be, oh, wow, great. We can just bring people from all over the world to a meeting and it's great. We don't have to fly anybody over and it's good for the world. It's reducing our carbon footprint. But actually also in those meetings, we have to start asking ourselves, even in a situation like that, it's asking ourselves, okay, what situations are most conducive for interaction to take place, for learning to take place, for meaning to emerge? Like what are the components that need to be there, even if we're not meeting physically? How do we invite each other and how do we create a common space in which we can feel free to bring ourselves to engage to communicate approaching these clear questions that don't have necessarily clear answers i think we will see long lasting changes in the way that that we interact but i find it most interesting actually in the less in the commercial sphere but more in the closer relationship sphere and maybe particularly for younger adults and how they find intimacy within this shift definitely challenging and it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds tell me something Elon. how did you even get into this field of production and the kind of events that you're now managing and when you decided to become the co-founder of Connected, what did you do before that? How did you get to this? We just zoomed back about a year ago. So this is the beginning of COVID. And I was actually in the midst of a course that I was taking a large group facilitation using techniques, methodologies, uh, dialogical methodologies, such as open space technology, our world cafe, appreciative inquiry. These are methodologies that are aimed at large group interactions. allow for collecting a lot of common knowledge or intelligence. We were supposed to hold a physical conference and then the first lockdown came in. And actually about a month before that happened, I knew that it's coming our way to Israel. My partner's Chinese and we saw what's happening in China. And we know that it's just a matter of time till it's going to come here. Before even there was the lockdown, I was speaking with organizers of the course and I said, listen, we'll need to think about how to do this online. It's possible that we'll need to, and it's possible to do. And I knew it's possible to do because previously I was working internationally and a lot of the meetings that I was holding at the time were through Zoom from 2014, 15. It was just a mode of communication that I felt very comfortable with. But surprisingly, when I returned to Israel during that period of time, it was not the case for many people. Even for people working within high tech and so forth, it wasn't really the case. In any case, I was aware of the possibilities that exist on applications such as Zoom. And we just moved the conference online to Zoom using breakout rooms, which at the time seemed like, wow. And it worked wonderfully. And uh, so happened that, that during the course, I was studying together with organizational development people. So they started calling me up and asking me, you know, can I help uh, support them and this event or that event or this kind of seminar. So that's kind of what jump-started it. 
But actually, previously to that, I was finding myself quite intrigued by the possibility of people to connect virtually. The reason for that was completely personal for me, because for a period of time, I was in a long distance relationship. And it was interesting understanding how to recreating our intimacy from a distance using this medium. That was with my partner, but also with my father. He has a quite advanced Parkinson's. Often when I was overseas, I found myself trying to communicate online with him using WhatsApp, or previously it was WeChat, Chinese version of that, and trying to get across. What helps us to get across virtually from a distance? What are the cues? What do we need to notice? What do we need to bring with ourselves? I was really thinking about that during that period of time. Then COVID happened, and suddenly that type of theoretical knowledge became relevant. As other people were asking themselves, how can we connect? So we just started doing these events and seminars and working with different organizations that needed the type of expertise. And I was working with people, none of us knew exactly what we're supposed to do. And none of us came particularly from a production background, but it wasn't necessarily super complex. And what I found was that what's needed is often just being able to work with people and ask together the right questions and approach it as a group effort with a willingness to experiment and to explore. And this is a period of time also where, and this is something that's common about Zoom also, I, I don't think we can hide anything. If we have a glitch, if something doesn't work, it's pretty difficult to cover it up. When you approach these gatherings with a very transparent kind of attitude saying, you know, we're not going to try and achieve a super fail-proof, 100% television-like type of quality. Some things are not going to work. We're also not going to try and hide it. There's something about the sincerity about that that actually enables people to connect sometimes what happens is when things get messed up, it's an opportunity to get people engaged because people can feel a sense of empathy to the situation and it can be often turned into a humorous kind of event. So you're yeah. saying that when the speaker themselves allows themselves to be humanly vulnerable, then that helps hmm. the audience connect with them. Right. And when it's put there, it's kind of setting the stage and saying from the beginning, set our expectations. We're on Zoom. Shit happens. I had a tree fall on the electrical line just outside of my house as I was hosting an event. What can you do about that? But come back and laugh and say, yeah, tree fell on the electrical line just outside. That's all you can do. These moments in which there's these cracks in reality that happen, those enable for intimacy to take place. Those enable for people to connect in a way through showing their vulnerabilities. And what's one of the keys that you discovered when you were reflecting back on those intimate types of virtual conversations with your partner and with your dad? What did you find gave you and each of them a sense of shared connection when you were conversing right virtually? It does start somewhat with our presence and intention. We're used to just moving into a virtual meeting without having a possibility of slowing down and just bringing ourselves to the spot. It almost makes me want to do something with you. So sure. something, I, so something I often do is let's just stand up a second, step away from the camera, just take a few breaths and come back and sit down. Okay, let's just, just do that for a second. Hi, Daphna. Hi. How's it going? I'm good. You? <laughs> I'm doing well. I just felt like I walked into perhaps a concert hall. That's what I was imagining as I walked back. I imagined that I'm walking back and sitting in a seat in a concert hall. What I want to say by that is that as we invite our awareness to our mental state and to our bodies, it changes something about how we're present. And that is felt beyond the screen. So there's something about that intention about being with you, about us deciding to spend this time together now, clearing the space around us. That's one aspect. And then and in that, there are additional facets. As we are able to invite 
additional senses into the space that enlarges physical presence and it goes beyond the screen. And that could be touch, it could be sound, it could be through motion. Something super simple like taking a pen and passing it to you. You can pick it up and passing it to you. Great. And then you can pass it on back to me. You can do that with your hands. Just to those listening to us right now, we're just raising our hands kind of like pantomime. We're kind of as if just a sheet of glass between us and we're just mimicking each other's movements. Also the speed and the intensity and the distance. And as you do that, whoever plays Tai Chi kind of falls into that same kind of realm, but we're creating a kind of synchronicity between us. And those two bring us together. That's kind of simple doing with people that know each other. It's a little trickier doing it with audience that is hardcore academics or, or business, you know, uh, people business people for whom time is money and enough with right. this nonsense and get to the point already with that kind of more expansive beautiful that totally resonated with me type of interaction do you find that that's most relevant when both parties to the conversation have a bit of a background in some sort of mindfulness practice or even open to that type of interaction as you said before is it a matter of aligning expectations that that's what both sides are looking for from this interaction right. people that are more connected in that way, kind of get it easier, but it doesn't have to be. There's something about the invitation, the openness that enables that. Something we discovered is you can invite people to do something. This is super important about virtual meetings is because we are stuck in this box, you want to enable a sense of agency and autonomy. Most things are invitations. That goes both for as you're building, for instance, a online event, you want to replicate that kind of ability of people to make choices during the event of how, when, and with whom to interact, just like they would do in your life because otherwise we're just sitting on a bus going somewhere with some kind of frontal presentation that's not necessarily engaging for us but you know interestingly so sometimes you know we try this out with a company one time that we're just starting that out and i was just asking people to even just look at the screen and just pick out people that they know that they'd really be happy to be with right now just say even without words welcome them to this common space and once i did that and the cfo called up immediately my partner was like you have to cut that you know we're going to lose everybody this is like wacko. This is not going to work. We got reactions like that. And we got reactions where simple thing of, okay, let's, let's just look around who's around us here. And let's extend our hand out and touch somebody or say hi above us or below us or something. And something in that just enables also the absurdity of the situation kind of emerge and enables some laughter and some openness. And then something can happen, just creating a space for something to happen. That's beautiful. What would you say is the importance of clarity when you're dealing with online communication? Where could communication between the person who is delivering a message and the audience of one or many who are receiving this message, where could clarity or lack thereof be especially important in virtual communication? Mm. So I'm taking some time to answer because I think that's something also that we don't do. So I'm trying to sense that with myself. For instance, I didn't have an immediate sense of clarity about an answer to your question about clarity. First of all, I'm allowing myself not to feel compelled to immediately answer that, but take time to sense that with myself. That's kind of an answer in, in a way. Obviously, it helps if we have clarity with ourselves, if we want to have a clear communication and clear answer. And often we don't. And that's the reason we engage in ways that are murky and ununderstandable. And sometimes in that murkiness, there's actually a lot of creativity that could be very interesting and complexities within that, but that's not clear. I suppose different ways that we can answer that. When I'm working with presenters, I'll ask them that question as well. And I'll use also the idea of, of small is beautiful. Try and kind of define maybe not everything that you want to say, but just part of it but in a way that somebody else can understand. And as you're doing that, the words are important, but no less important than that is your actual physical presentation, your intonation, 
the meaning that you're putting behind the words. It's not something that you necessarily have to practice, but there's something about the intentionality behind that that enables clarity to come across. Because again, and this goes back to what we spoke about a little bit earlier, we're actually not just speaking in words ever. Even when we're speaking on words in a podcast, there's so many nuances in the sound, in the punctuations, in the silences the tempo of all of that. And definitely there's more information that moves in as we're using body language and we can see that with one each other. So to complete this kind of circle of a question, for me to be clear, at the same time, I really have to invite you as well to be able to listen attentively to what I have to say. And that invitation needs to be out there. So then what I'm saying is not just going through you, it's touching something in you that engages you and perhaps also not just intellectually, also somewhat emotionally, cognitively, in a way that then it catches. Thank you. I noticed on your LinkedIn profile that your choice, instead of a descriptive about paragraph, you had just the quote, no man is an island, and you continued, everything is interconnected. That quote is by a poet, John Donne. How did you choose that quote? What does mm, it mean to you? Yeah, that's that's an old quote that I was introduced to by a, a partner some 20 years ago. She was an avid reader of English poetry. And here you are in the business of connecting people with one another. Huh. It's not clear to me how well-known the quote is or isn't. You knew it. I suppose that almost in any culture, we can find something that's quite similar to this quote. He's speaking about interconnectivity, about integration, about the fact that we're a part of something that's larger than ourselves. And to me, I suppose also when I was thinking about that, it really had more of an environmental, ecological kind of perspective in that for me personally. One thing that disturbs me actually talking about clear communication, for instance. So we're hearing this narrative now that speaks about how the solution for, for instance, climate change, global warming is reduction of CO2 emissions. This is a clear message in theory. Problem is, there's no way really to connect emotionally to perceive reduction in CO2 emissions on a poetic level means nothing. It's an intellectual concept. What we're missing there in that message is the invitation for people to actually connect scientifically, yes, we have excess of CO2 and we need to do something about that. But simply reducing it is not going to be the solution to everything because the solution actually has to do with our behaviors. And for our behaviors to change, we need to have a sense of what we're doing, what can we do, and a sense of agency about our ability to change something. By saying something like, we need to reduce CO2 emissions, we're removing it from the realm of the personal from the personal responsibility. Because in the end of the day, it does come to that. No man is an island, no woman is an island. And we're all connected, we're all interconnected. So anything one does impacts everybody else. So the question here is about how can we create messages that create an emotional resonance? that they create in them some kind of an invitation for imagination. What would be an example of taking that same environmental message that you showed how it doesn't easily enable emotional resonance? How would you make that message about what needs to be done on a personal level in order to help the environment, in order to stop hurting it? How would you help people connect to it? Taking the quote, for instance, of No Man is Island, it creates for I suppose most of us, just an image. It's a metaphor. Using a metaphor already creates, by envisioning something, we're seeing an image, usually just by stopping a second and seeing something, often it will create a series, a cascading series of associations, just on a cognitive level. When I say CO2 reduction, there's something very bland or empty in that. I mean, there's no image that I can see in that. Of course I can, we can, but they don't, they don't carry the same, I think, poetic weight or volume. I wonder if there is a call to action rather than just a message, this is important. 
if we took it in the direction of here is an action step that we're inviting people to take upon themselves, how could we turn the world is in urgent need of reducing the carbon footprint? How could we translate that into a call to action of here's something that each individual and every household could actually apply in their everyday behavior, which would contribute positively and stop contributing negatively, which would carry that kind of emotional resonance? Yeah, those are really good questions. What we're not asking for is for behavioral changes. And our behavioral changes are embedded in the way that we perceive ourselves in the world and the impact that we have as creatures, you know, as beings. We're not talking that language almost at all because we equate also behavior with our economic behavior, with consumerism and so forth. I mean, it's very easy to get pretty heady here and intellectual. And that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to an essence of something. That question is really good. Have you heard an example of a really good applicable environmental message that you're happy to repeat, which you think some organization or entity is doing a great job of connecting people even to one particular corner or niche of the greater environmental question? Who's doing a great job right now of communicating an environmental issue in a way that people can connect to it with their heart? Honestly, it's hard for me to think about any. A lot of the environmental discussion that I know does focus around a certain technological aspect of things, which is basically a technological optimism. And it's mainly within that. But as you were asking the question, an image that came to my mind, in no way do I like, is the image of the World War One propaganda posters of the pointing finger, we want you. Now, what does that do? We want you, that kind of action, pointing the finger at you, is that it's not like I can't hide. It's not pointing to anybody else. It's to me, as long as I can resonate with a larger calling, we can agree with it or not. But there's something about that message that was super directed and personal. It could work in sense of, of nationalism, guilt, whatever we want, but we're not at all using that type of, I feel, you know, I'm generalizing. We're not quite using that way of communication that actually works on a on personally a more relevant so that people feel like it's personally relevant to them both personally relevant yes and it's almost archetypal right it's like a call to arms I mean, that's what it is. It is a call to arms. Can you think of a time, maybe this is a good example of the complexity of explaining some concepts. Can you think of a time in your professional or personal life in which you were trying to explain something very complex? What are some of the more complicated things you've ever had to explain to someone? First of all, if you're trying to explain to somebody in Chinese something, or if I'm trying to explain something in Chinese, everything seems like a very complex challenge. I have very rudimentary Chinese. Just to try to explain any concept in Chinese becomes a very complex challenge. I think just life is so full of opportunities to make things complicated to explain. Can you think of a time in which you were really gratified that you succeeded in simplifying something that essentially is complex and you could see the aha moment registering in the eyes of the person you were speaking to that they got it and then you felt like, okay, yes, I managed mm. to explain this thing to that person. They totally mm. understood what I meant. Mm. Well, I think that does happen sometimes. I mean, this often happens now, sometimes through explanations that are not just verbal because the aha moment has a physical counterpart. So if I'm doing an exercise with, with people in a workshop and we're talking about how we're trying to connect and we're doing some physical exercise through the screen, what I'm saying is that we're basically breaking the screen. We're opening a fourth wall or we're going through it. I can explain this in words. It's understood intellectually. But then often there's a moment where people through doing something, it registers in their body. And then there's a kind of like a shift and there's an understanding. We can elaborate on this and explain it, but they know and I know and we both know that like something happened in that moment. And that's the kind of sense they want to get. So what do we as communicators have to do in order to achieve that, in order to help our audience reach that point? It's on us to communicate effectively as the communicators. Right. right. 
Right. So I feel like it's a duet. It is a combined effort. It's both about there's the intentionality with the approach of the speaker or the presenter, but the invitation for participation and experience of the audience. And ideally what we want to do is we want to blur the line between those. Most of our presentations are kind of linear, right? So if you think about it, there's a stage and it may be a physical stage or a Zoom webinar, and then there's everybody else out there. If we can think about it, if what we actually want to create is like a round space, this egalitarian round space where the speaker has a certain role within this engagement right now, but it's only valid or it's only valuable if and when it creates interaction and engagement. And then when that happens, so something emerges that is beyond. Do you have some role models that to you are people of amazing ability to communicate with clarity? And you think, wow, that person is doing a really good job of giving the audience a sense of what they really mean? Hmm. Interesting. I mean, what comes to my mind right now, and maybe because it's just on the corner of my eye, one of the things I'm studying now is called a technique called focusing. It's a philosophy and a methodology. Philosophy, psychology, developed by somebody, a professor called Eugene Gendlin at the University of Chicago. And I'm actually studying with two teachers called Dana Ganihar and Baruch Brenner. I'm assisting them in developing workshops that are called The Art of Prayer. And they are kind of an invitation for people, for the general public, for people that are secular upbringing like myself, to experience through methodologies of focusing this, what Baruch says, this enigmatic concept of prayer. And what's fascinating through this kind of process with them is seeing this kind of uh, struggle at these moments of like intense clarity and ability to communicate something very, very complex in a way that is just seems sometimes like just perfect, like the wording is, is perfect. But more interesting than that is the stumbling, is the trying to get a sense of something particularly like this, that is so difficult to express in words, and nevertheless getting the message across. So what is happening there that happens beyond words to explain something that is nevertheless understood? So what goes with that, though, there's the components of courage and integrity. So the courage is to express something that you're not necessarily sure how to explain or where exactly it's going to go to, knowing that it's not going to be perfect. And two, the integrity is to know that and to share that also with your audience. And when you hold both of those together, it also creates a certain type of humility. So there's something about this humility of also expressing something that is an invitation, but at no point says, I know better. It says, this is what I've tried. This is the path I'm taking. Try it for yourself. See if what I'm saying works for you or not. However much we want to have like these well-hewn, perfectly polished presentations, and we're working on that, it's almost like my rallying cry would be for, no, give me the imperfect, nuanced, complex, but genuine. Present in the moment. Present, yes, presentation. But basically the assumption is that we have in our bodies carry like this immense body of knowledge that wants to be expressed. So Sujanan says we feel more than we can think. And we live more than we can feel. And it goes on from that. But basically is saying we're often, and also as, as communicators, we're also very much in the thinking space of things. The invitation is that actually there's a lot of knowledge and live edges and complexity and realizations that come as we turn our gaze also onto the, what's called the felt sense of the body, of what's happening at the moment. And through that, allowing for something fresh to come up. Because often what we say and this is kind of what I, one of the things I'm enjoying about the conversation now that we're having. And I know that some of it is not very clear, but some of it for me is fresh because I'm not necessarily saying things that I've said before. And the invitation and the discussion and my trying to kind of to sense in with myself was enabling something slightly 
different for me at least to come up. So that's refreshing for myself. <laughs> and for me, and I hope for the listeners, it definitely feels authentic and in the moment mm-hmm. and that you're creating your messages in our honor right now. And that's a beautiful thing. Thank you for that. So maybe just leave us with a great communication tip that you've received that you tend to give people. What would you recommend to people in order to be effective in what it is that they're trying to achieve with their audiences online or in person? What comes up for me right now is actually to ask questions, not to assume the answers beforehand, which is so often counter to what we're expected to do often, right? You're invited to give a speech. You're invited to give a presentation, a workshop or something. You're supposed to come as an expert with a body of knowledge to do something. And the way I often like to begin, I have to sense who's with me. I think it's right. I mean, we need to sense who's with us. So one way to engage people is through asking them questions, but it also acts as kind of like a truth barometer for myself. Through the questions, being able to come with with a response that is genuine, that is fitting to the moment. So if being able to ask questions is imperative to having a meaningful connection with the audience, would you say that ideally, especially in the virtual situations that we're encountering in more intensity and more frequency this year, would you limit the number of participants ideally to a certain size forum that would enable meaningful interaction and questions? That is an interesting question. I think you can create very meaningful interactions, also in large groups. That is possible. Ideally in that situation though, there will be opportunity for at least part of the participants to voice their point of view and for something dialectic to evolve. It's not necessary that everybody will voice their opinion in order to have engagement. A meaningful experience just often includes also a uh, some kind of emotional experience, not just a higher mind cognitive intellectual one. But that being said, what I found is the most meaningful presentations are not presentations, they're conversations. Conversations can happen with many people, but often conversations do need a smaller group of people because the ability of participants to voice their thoughts, emotions, experiences, to share something contributes to the whole. And that kind of interchange becomes the experience is unique for that specific gathering and meeting that would be different in any other situation simply because the participants are different in that point of time. Yes. So generally, I encourage doing what I call a harmonica or a, a accordion kind of a structure in which you create kind of like a narrative arc for the event in which there are opportunities for smaller group discussions and conversations and kind of larger group gatherings and moving kind of dancing between those enables various facets of us to come into being into interaction with others. And that overall creates the experience of being together. Totally. Thank you. Hearing all of your Holistic approaches to communication helps clarify for me even further what it was about the way you supported technically in an event, which was how I had the privilege of getting to know you at a workshop that I delivered for an organization that we were both working with at the time. I understand now why I felt such a supportive vibe from you. It explains Mm -hmm. (laughs) so much more about why I felt such an embrace from your end that it was so far beyond technical. Thank you for that. Thanks for spending the time with me and our listeners today. And that was super informative and inspiring. Inspiring, and I want to wish you a happy, healthy spring and great interactions online and off. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me here today and for the wonderful questions and listening and conversation. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here with us on Let's Clarify It. I hope you found it helpful. If there are specific topics you'd love to hear covered or you'd like help clarifying your own message, I'd be delighted to hear from you feel free to reach out to me on letsclarify.it. In the meantime, be sure to take good care, 
and clarify your messages to amplify your impact.